In 2014, Zach Bagans, host of Discovery Channel's Ghost Adventures, purchased a small one-story home in Gary, Indiana, so that he could make a documentary. The lore came from when the house made national attention as being dubbed the portal to hell, when its tenants years prior claimed demons were taking up residence alongside them. Some believe the story was fabricated, while others, including a 37-year veteran of the Gary Police Department, believed it. The events that unfolded led to one of the most unusual cases that Department of Children's Services had ever handled. But this story ends with Zach's documentary. It begins with a single mother and her three children. This is the possession of the Amons family. Welcome to another episode of Hosting Evil. I'm Emily. And I'm Jess. And Emily, I have a case for you today that I resonated with as a mom. So it really struck a chord with me. I can't wait for you to share this. So I'm going to jump back and forth between the documentary and the original story because there was some speculation with this story. And the documentary was filmed years after... So I think it's important because things happened in the documentary that corroborated the original story. And before you get started, can I just say, I've never Zach Baggins. I no, I've never heard of this before. Really, I'm not ghost hunters. What's he? Ghost Ghost adventures. Okay, okay. Admittedly, like I didn't have TLC or Discovery Channel or Discovery (laughs) Channel. So I, I mean, I would watch that stuff, but it would be like when I was at someone else's house. So. Be excited because you're really going to blow my socks off. <laughs> and also, I love documentaries, so I'm kind of kicking it's myself. It's a two-in-one. Well, and it's funny, too, because I have watched many, 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 many seasons of Ghost Adventures. I love Zach. I love the team that he has. And when I picked this case, I didn't know that Zach covered it and made a documentary. Oh, sh- so my mind was also blown, just in a different okay. way. Cool. So cool. the original story takes place from... 2011 to 2012 in Gary, Indiana. So Gary was once a manufacturing mecca, but those days had long gone. A report named Gary being one of the most miserable cities in America to live. Yikes. And it was ranked high as being one of the most unsafe as well. So this makes the residents vulnerable. And as we know, demons and dark forces love to prey on the vulnerable. (laughs) It's just their thing. So LaToya Amons was a single mom of three school-age children. She had two sons and a daughter and was looking for a fresh start coming out of a relationship. So what do you do? You move. Sure. (laughs) That's what you do. (laughs) Or if you have to. Yeah, that's true. Because, you know, the relationship ended. So she found a cute one-story rental and moved her children along with her mother in onto Carolina Street in the dead of winter. Okay. So Gary, Indiana winters are brutal. They have below freezing temps with mostly cloudy days, and the winter in 2011 was no exception. So this is no, that was a tough winter. Very tough on the East Coast. Yeah, it was was brutal everywhere. But this was important to note because of some things that started happening after they moved in. 
And I'm going to refer to Latoya's mom as grandma just to differentiate between the two women as I tell the story. So when they moved in, they noticed swarms of huge black flies like by the droves in their screened-in front porch. This already screams Amityville. Yeah. Continue. Red flag number one. (laughs) So the ladies would kill the flies, like spend all this time killing them the next day. Boom. Right back. Yep. (laughs) So they were reported as saying, well, especially grandma, that wasn't normal. Yeah, you don't have flies during winter, too. Well, it's one of the great things about winter is you get a break <laughs> from the goddamn bugs. They're dead. You shouldn't be seeing yeah. a fly, let alone swarms swarms of huge black. I mean, that's like when you think of like a dead carcass, those big Yeah, flies those like come. horse flies. Yeah, no, Ugh. you shouldn't be seeing that in below no. freezing temps. No. So after after that, they noticed some other strange occurrences. After midnight, Latoya and her mom would often hear footsteps ascending the basement stairs. Okay. Followed by the basement door creaking as it opened into the kitchen. Now, this was a small house. Right. The so bedrooms you, were right outside the kitchen. You so, hear everything. Yeah. If something's happening, you're going to hear it no matter where you are in the house. That's a nightmare. Yeah, definitely. (laughs) So one night, Grandma claims she awoke to find a shadowy figure of a man pacing in front of her bed. So she flipped the F out, (laughs) jumped up, (laughs) turned on the light, and all she found in its place was wet boot prints that had just been where the shadowy figure was. Oh, no. So another thing, which you won't be shocked to know this, they would hear dogs barking and growling coming from inside the house. But guess what? They didn't have any pets. Of course not. Not even a Lhasa Apso to blame it on. Nope, nothing. And it was interesting, too, because during the documentary with Zach, when he was filming, reports of hearing dogs growling would come from, like, the crew and those he was interviewing. They would hear it. And some other things happened with the dogs growling that we'll talk about later. So you have that similarity between – because, again, this is 2011. Mm -hmm. Zach purchased the house in 2014 and filmed for four years. Okay. Um, So this is years later. People are still hearing – the growling coming from, yeah. from within this house. So things in the Amon's house started to escalate quickly after this. One night, the family was up late mourning the loss of a loved one with a small group of friends. At one point, Grandma was in the kitchen with those friends, and around 2 a.m., a loud scream came from her bedroom. She recognized the sound as being her daughter, LaToya. Oh, no. So Grandma ran into the room to find LaToya screaming and staring at her 12-year-old daughter who was levitating feet above the bed. Oh, shit. A little, another little girl <laughs> was in the bed, too, that was like a, what, friend, like friend. a daughter of one of those friends yeah, and was just cousin. like staring blankly at this girl. And she was completely unconscious while she was levitating. Right. So scared and not knowing what to do, everyone who was in the house gathered around the girl and started to pray. Okay. They were religious. Yeah. Uh, eventually, Latoya's daughter descended back onto the bed, and when she woke again, she had no idea what had happened to her. So those who were visiting that night, though, n- refused to come back to that house again. Rightly so. I don't blame them. But also, like, this possession is, like, coming in hot. It's coming in, like, <laughs> swinging we're out ready. the gates. You know, like, no, a little, a couple small things, and then, you know, Boom. We're in to win it. So after this, LaToya and Grandma reached out to a few local churches for help. Like, unsure. They they didn't know what was going on, but they knew it wasn't good. Good, yeah. They knew it was, like, negative. So most of the churches dismissed what the ladies were saying. 
Of course. Yep. And this is, I wonder if even like kind of Bible Belt. Uh, but one church did listen to them and offered some guidance. The officials at this church urged the two women to, quote, cleanse the house with bleach and ammonia. Okay. I mean, I knew those items killed germs, did not know they got rid of demons. <laughs> <laughs> and they also urged the ladies to use olive oil and draw crosses on every door and window, their foreheads, while reciting prayer. So I guess LaToya being intelligent, didn't want to rely solely on that mm -hmm. advice. So she continued, you know, to seek out some more. And she saw a local clairvoyant okay, who told them that their house was under attack by more than 200 demons. Yikes. Portal to hell. That's yeah. where that name came from, in case you didn't connect the dots there. Makes sense. <laughs> LaToya asked the clairvoyant, okay, like, well, what do I do? So the clairvoyant suggested the best course of action wasn't the bleach, but <laughs> was to quote get the hell out of there. I was gonna, I was just gonna say uh, GTFO, but moving wasn't an option, right? So this yeah. is a poverty-stricken area. Latoya had just spent all of her money on rental deposits. She couldn't afford to just up and move. Like she was financially strapped and literally stuck there. So the clairvoyant suggested she make an altar in the basement and burn sage and sulfur. To anyone listening, let me just put my own logical and intuitive sense on this. Sage is really great for negative energy, meaning like you have a toxic friend who's visiting. They leave. The room is left heavy. Burn some sage. You'll probably feel better and lighter. If your house has one plus demons in it, sage is not going to help you. Also, it's just not. <laughs> I'm sorry, you're supposed to burn sulfur? Sulfur, it was funny because isn't that the That's scent the, that like when demons are there, the, you always smell you, sulfur? They claim it smells like sulfur. Maybe and it's like, let's get them first before they get you. I don't really know what the... That would be like making them feel at home. That would be like, you know... Welcoming them. Yeah, like you invite one of your, your baker friends over and you burn... Lower them you with know, vanilla. Like, yeah, like with vanilla or like a cinnamon, a cinnamon roll, you know, candle. You're like... Join, come join like, us before we kick you out. I don't know why the clairvoyant said sulfur. So please, okay. if you're listening, do not do that <laughs> to get out the demons. If you want demons, I'm sure sulfur is the way to go. Latoya described how after all this advice, she went home and she did everything. I mean, yeah. you're desperate, right? So you're going to yeah. do whatever these people tell you. So she drew crosses on the doors, windows, and even the foreheads of their children and themselves with olive oil. She covered an end table with a white sheet. She placed white candles on it and statues of Mary, Joseph, and Jesus on it. She then read the following aloud. You will not fear the terror of night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in the darkness, nor the plague that destroys midday. Leave it to the Bible to scare the shit out of you. <laughs> that's Psalm 91, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. So that's what the clairvoyant and the church told her to do. Okay. So after this, things calmed down for a few days. It was oh. a false sense of calm. Of As course. we know, demons love to play tricks. Yeah. They see this vain little attempt at getting rid of them, and they quiet for a while just to catch you off guard when they yeah. come in full swinging. That's exactly what they did here. And build up that fervor. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So at this time, Latoya's daughter was 12. Okay. So she's 12 years old, and her sons are seven and nine. 
So LaToya noticed after this false sense of calm came that there were changes taking place in the children. Their voices would suddenly deepen to an unnatural level when they spoke, followed by these evil smiles and bulging eyes. We saw the bulging eyes in Emma Schmidt's case, those protruding eyes. Uh, Grandma, though, felt like she was born protected by a guardian so that none of this affected her. Good for Not grandma. really sure that's an actual thing, but we'll just go with it because that's what she believed. Like, I feel like if one of us is born with a guardian, we most likely all are. I don't know <laughs> where she got <laughs> off thinking. I don't know who told her that. But maybe it's like the opposite of like when they, like in the one case with Emma Schmidt when she was cursed. Yeah. Maybe it's like the She's grandma blessed. was like protected. Doubly blessed. Yeah. Hey, hey I would maybe, believe that. Maybe. I can stand behind that. So one of the boys would be found at various times sitting in a closet, having a dark conversation with what he described as another little boy, but obviously there was no other little boy there. I mean, it was the spirit he was talking to. Yeah. But they would have these conversations. The the spirit boy would be telling him what it's like to die. And that's what they would be discussing in the closet. That's fun. Mm, Stuff of horror movies. (laughs) Yeah, literally. So LaToya witnessed her other son also get thrown out of the bathroom violently by an unseen force. Great. And get thrown up against the wall as well. Oh, no. So her 12-year-old daughter would later tell mental health professionals that she oftentimes felt like she was being choked and would lose the ability to move or speak. We've also seen this yeah, in other cases as well. She also heard voices telling her she was never going to see her family again and would be dead within 20 minutes, causing her to live in like a constant state of fright. I mean, you're 12. Anxiety, yeah. Like that's that's terrifying as an adult to hear, let alone a 12-year-old. And once the daughter had gotten hit over the head with a headboard by an unseen force, but it was so hard that it actually caused her to need stitches. Oh, my God. And then CPS is getting involved. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, this is bad. So some nights it was so bad that the family would leave and go to a hotel or stay with relatives just to get a break. But obviously the issues would sometimes follow because it's not really that. I mean, it emanated from the house, but now it's attached to them. Right. Yeah. So Latoya herself started experiencing feelings of getting warm, followed by being lightheaded. And then she would start to like violently shake. And she felt like this would happen when she was under spiritual attack by the demons. Mm. Jumping to Zach's documentary, He noted that when members of his crew, himself even, or people he brought in to be interviewed were at the house, they would just start to space out, lose track of thought, and then it would be followed by either a feeling of getting sick or angry. Oh, no. And he attributed this to the same thing LaToya had experienced a few years prior, which is that spiritual attack. Yeah. So disturbances in the house with LaToya and the family continued with the kids. They would be sitting there completely fine, for example, playing video games. And then all of a sudden, one of the kids' eyes would roll back into their head. They would speak in that deep demonic voice, one time saying something to the other like, are you ready to go, brother? Then the other <laughs> boy's eyes would roll back in his head and he would respond, yes, I am ready to go. Oh, my God. What? <laughs> the kids would then get violent with each other oh, right no. after. Isn't that crazy? crazy oh no <laughs> i'm laughing because this is terrifying nine what? and seven. Oh my god i Come, mean like playing mary brothers i don't know what kids play like donkey kong whatever and then all of a sudden it's just 
you know, that deep, dark voice. Kids do spooky shit, but that's terrifying. That's next level. Kids yeah. do spooky shit in the middle of the night when, like, you wake up and they're just staring at you and, like, I have to pee. It's like, then go. Why are you staring at <laughs> me? But that is, like, <sighs> oh, my God. So no. Latoya was witnessing this and was, like, hell no. Yeah. I need to get these kids to a doctor. So she contacted the family physician in the hopes of getting more help. And took the whole family, grandma and all, in to see him. Okay. So Dr. Jeffrey Onyokuo would later say in an interview that, quote, I've never heard anything like that in my life. I was scared myself when I walked into the room. It was bizarre. Rightly so. Because, I mean, they're doing these behaviors at the doctor's, the doctor's office. Yeah. I mean, at least, I guess at least he was up with it. Well, I don't know. His medical notes from that day included phrases like delusions of ghost in home and hallucinations. So, yeah, it was freaky behavior, but he wasn't 100% on board with the story, and this is where things start to take a turn. So, yeah, one of the sons started speaking in that demonic voice and, and started cursing and yelling at the doctor. And according to reports from that day, the seven-year-old was then lifted and thrown into the wall with nobody touching him. But they were still like, mm. So <laughs> Dr. Jeff thought, you know, this is being done by mom. She's putting these kids up to this. <laughs> she's she's having them put oh on a God. show for attention. Like they thought that they were acting. By proxy, like. Yeah, I don't know where he would get that something. from. But yeah, he thought they were acting. So not to brag, but I took acting lessons from an extra on the movie Philadelphia with Tom Hanks when I was Latoya's <laughs> yeah. kid's age. Even with that lovely skill set, if my mom came up to me and was like, hey, could you act like, you know, you're possessed by demons in front of multiple medical professionals? Even if I wanted to do it, I probably would have only been able to keep up with it for like a minute before I broke character because you're, you're, you're watching these adults. Wouldn't they be laughing? Well, yeah, you'd be, you would be laughing when you start to see the, <laughs> the, the adults responding to whatever nonsense you're doing. Right. Yeah. I mean, basically, mm. I mean, here's the thing, though. There's there's prank shows out there, right, where they hire yes. actors yeah. So, yeah. That, so they can continue and not break character so that the person being pranked doesn't get let on. Like, it takes yeah. a special skill. These right. kids were not actors. This isn't jackass. No. Right. And going back to financially strapped, like, I'm sure acting lessons were not a priority yeah, because right. we're not at the theater. <laughs> they did not have the skill set to be able to pull this off. So that's my opinion on that. <laughs> so they're at the doctor's. The kids are starting to lose it, and one of the medical staff called 911. Okay. So things were escalating, but you also have to remember what was happening in the home was also causing the kids to miss school. Of course. So the medical professionals are watching this display. They're noting that the education piece is, yeah. is lacking, and they're like, we want to have her investigated for child abuse is basically yep. why, why yeah. they called. This, so, yeah, this sucks. Yeah. And and mom is just like caught in the middle of this. Yeah. 
So several cop cars and ambulances show up and they take the whole family, again, grandma and all, <laughs> to the hospital. So at the hospital, the boys were still talking about violence, wanting to kill. The family was assigned a DCS, Department of Children's Services, case manager to interview the kids in the family. So Valerie Washington was the manager assigned to this family. And when she was speaking with them, the seven-year-old began growling and showing his teeth just like a dog would. His eyes then rolled back in his head, and he immediately locked both hands around his older brother's throat and started to choke him. The report stated that it took multiple adults to break free because of his unusual strength. Again, we see that in these possession cases, the ability to have this strength that's not normally there. I mean, this kid's seven. Right. But also, too, like, this is the thing that's so crazy about everything you're telling me right now is, like, this just recently happened. I mean, recent is relative, but like this has happened within the last like yeah. 10 to 15 years. Yeah, it's not an old. We're not talking case. about like something in like 1500. No, like this is relatively recent in relation to all the other cases. Um, and I guess you're, you're starting to get medical professionals involved yeah. in DCS. So Valerie's watching this and she decided she wanted to speak with the boys without mom present. She knew what the theory was from the medical professionals. So she moved the two boys into another room but allowed grandma to come. Okay. So it's Valerie, the case manager, the two boys' grandma, and ER nurse Willie Lee Walker and a hospital psychologist were also present in the room. So once they got into the room, the seven-year-old again locked eyes with his brother and started to growl. And then the demonic voice came through saying, it's time to die. I will kill you to the brother. Great. So while the seven-year-old did this, the nine-year-old brother he was speaking to starts headbutting his grandma several times in the stomach. Now, these kids were close to her. Right. This was not normal behavior yeah. for them to be doing. So grandma grabbed the nine-year-old's hands and started praying for him. Oh, my gosh. What happened next was in the official DCS case notes written by Valerie and was corroborated by ER nurse Walker as well as the hospital psychologist. Right. Okay? So according to Valerie's notes, which, by the way, total DCS case notes were 800 pages on this family. Oh, my God. So while grandma was still holding the nine-year-old's hands and praying for him, an evil grin came across the boy's face. He lunged backwards, glided across the floor, and proceeded to walk up the wall toward the ceiling backwards. What? <laughs> <laughs> he then did what was described as a flip coming off the wall, landed right on his feet in front of everyone, and then passed out. Oh, my God. How? crazy is that you can't explain that like he's nine he's not like he's doing one of those parkour things yeah so all the medical professionals in the room lost it they just were like what did i just see yeah and they actually ran out of the room they just couldn't handle it it was just too much for their brains to comprehend I can kind of understand so I guess the ER doctor found out what had happened, and he ran in back into the room and demanded that the boy do it again. But the nurse that was there was like, <laughs> uh, he was not himself when he did that. He's not going to be able to do it on command. Right. And it just was this explosion of 
Flurry in the hospital, and that's mm-hmm. actually how news spread amongst the staff. And then it was somehow picked up by the local news station, of course, and then spread like wildfire and was actually being reported by every single media outlet. Like this made national attention. Where the hell you and I were when this happened? I have no idea. But <laughs> I was in college, <laughs> being an I didn't idiot. hear about it. <laughs> I like, had no no awareness of this whatsoever, so I'm sure other people out there listening didn't either. But apparently, it was reported. That's crazy. Um, all over, and yeah. that's actually how how Zach found out about it was, okay. was watching the news. So Zach actually was able to interview Valerie, the DCS case manager, in his documentary, uh, and he asked her if she still believed in the events of that day now that she's had a few years to reflect. And she said, quote, what happened that day is beyond what the capabilities are of what a nine-year-old can do. Yeah. And she said actually even thinking about that day puts her right back in that moment. She described it as being very traumatic. So this is actually coming from a woman who primarily worked in child fatalities. She had seen horrible, horrible ways in which children died. But that day sealed the deal for her right after she quit her job and moved out of Indiana. She couldn't – She I could bet. not wrap her brain around what she saw. Yeah. It made her question everything she right. said. And then she probably needed to go to a therapist. Yeah. Oh, I'm for sure. PTSD. Yeah. <laughs> so yes, she still believed in the events of that day and it impacted her greatly. So I mean, that's a credible witness if I've ever heard one. Because usually our witnesses are priests, nuns, or family members or close family friends. Right. But when you have DCS involved here, like and a you legitimate caseworker mm-hmm. that's probably that's probably seen like the worst of the worst. Yep. And the ER nurse, right, who didn't know this family for right. anything, and the hospital psychologist. Yeah, that's that's a lot of credible Ugh. eyewitness accounts there. Yikes. So Latoya spent the night in the hospital with her seven-year-old son that night, while Grandma took the other two to a relative's house. The next day was actually the seven-year-old's eighth birthday. Oh, I know it's a terrible way to. <laughs> Say goodbye to your seven-year-old. Um, and DCS officials asked Grandma to bring the other two back to the hospital, presumably to talk more about what had happened the day before. So once everyone was there, they celebrated the boy's birthday by eating cake and singing happy birthday. Then DCS told them that the children wouldn't be going home as they took the emergency step of taking custody of the children without a court order. Shit. So Valerie stated in her report that all the children were experiencing both spiritual and emotional distress. And the family was obviously really upset because they felt like they had already been through so much together and now they were getting ripped apart. Yeah. So the day after all this happened, meanwhile, the hospital chaplain called on Reverend Mike Magino to carry out an exorcism on both the children and LaToya. Okay. I give him credit because I don't know. He wasn't even – he just probably heard the story and was yeah. thinking, like, I need to help this family. Yeah. So Reverend Magino performed two exorcisms on the family. There's not much out there on the actual exorcism, unfortunately, but we know it seemed to work. Okay. So the children returned to LaToya six months later when the problems subsided. By this point, LaToya had moved out of the house, and she reported no further issues with herself or the kids. Wow. So after LaToya moved out, obviously the landlord had new tenants come in. And Mm -hmm. it is important to note that they didn't report anything unusual. Okay, so jump ahead. In 2014, the house went up for sale officially 
Mm-hmm. And Zach bought the house sight unseen. Okay. He knew about the well, home. Yeah. And he was like, I got to have it. Yeah. And the first time he went to the house was when he started filming the documentary about it. So the first time he saw it was the first time you get to see his reaction to seeing it in the documentary. Wow. So during the documentary, Zach met with Captain Charles Austin, who was originally involved in this case because the kids weren't attending school. Right. He told Zach that in his 37 years of police investigation, he never ran into anything like this before. He he was one of the ones originally who believed LaToya created this, like, story to try to get attention, maybe money. Mm-hmm. But he ended up witnessing a lot of the behaviors that were previously described, the demonic voices, the violent tendencies. And he said he became a believer Especially when one time after he had been at the home, he drove about a mile down to a gas station when all of a sudden the AM FM radio in his squad car changed channels to static Mm -hmm. and a voice came through asking who was there. Mm. And he was like, hell no. (laughs) It freaked him (laughs) out and he just – he knew it had something to do with the house. Right. He said a lot of officers that were called to the home for various reasons – would quit the force after being involved with the house because things would follow them home. Oh, my God. And their spouses would even report issues. Not, ins- not long. Yeah. Just enough to eyebrow raise you, right? Right. And so it, it had this reputation even amongst the, the local officers. <sighs> so Zach tried to interview LaToya and her mm-hmm. mom, but they refused because he had just been in the, quote, demon house mm-hmm. prior to reaching out to them. And they were uh, fearful that the demons were, like, latched on to Zach and would be transferred from him back to them. Like, they did not want to have any part of anyone that had been in that house. Totally reasonable. Yeah, I would – I would, especially after knowing that, you know, they'd have had some peace for a number right. of years. Yeah. Why would you open yourself back up like, to that again? Like, if you escaped it, fuck it. Yeah, just just peace out and don't don't talk to anyone who has ever been there. So he was – Zach was able to interview Latoya's brother, though, who they were currently living with him. And he talked about how during the possessions, you know, going back a couple of years, Latoya and the kids stayed with him a few days. And he personally witnessed how the children would go from that normal behavior to disturbed conversations in these strange voices. He said the kids would start to chant as if the demon was going from kid to kid. So like the one oh kid would start gosh. to chant, it would stop and would pick up with the next one and the next one. I got to say, these demons are so freaking creative. They are. <laughs> like They're always finding new ways to just baffle us. Um, so, and he also recalled that, you know, these kids were mild-mannered kids. They loved their grandmother, but they would get verbally abusive toward her. Yeah. Maybe because she was protected. Yeah, right. Maybe it's just the theory. That would make sense. Um, and and he said this was not normal for them. So right. They would get violent with each other. They'd get violent with the grandma. They would get verbally abusive. And he said it was a lot to handle. Well, and if you think about it, it's like even like how the demons within one person might fight each other. Oh yeah, you know, they're always, it's they're like arguing. It's like the one the one demon and one kid's fighting in the, against another demon. And then too with the grandmother, you know, it's like the way that a demon might react when a priest comes. You know, if you're protected. Yep. Because they weren't really – there wasn't many reports about them being violent with mom. Right. You know, she was experiencing her own sort of feelings and issues. Like, she was under some sort of – I would say she was more under, like, that oppressive – Yeah. Like, um, obsession level of possession. Yeah. Like, not full – 
Yeah, she, I don't think she was fully possessed, but she definitely had that oppressiveness. She would she would be affected by the energy. So after Zach's interview with Latoya's brother, Latoya refused to let the brother back in the house. Oh shit! She was like, "Nope, you're on my shit list too." And like, wouldn't let him. Yeah. Well, I can kind of understand. So when Zach was filming the documentary, but not currently at the house, he received a call from one of the neighbors that he'd kind of befriended that someone was trying to break into the house. Okay. And even though the house was vacant, I mean, squatters had been kind of living there. He was in the process of getting them kicked out. So he called the police and met them out there. And Mm -hmm. so this is like years after LaToya. Right. And the two cops that showed up, he's like, yeah, I got a report that someone was trying to break into the house. And they looked at the house and they're like, nah, we're not going in there. Good luck. They know about it. They they just still, years later. Yeah. Well... I mean, it's just so funny how these things, you know, perpetuate and how they must have really heard a lot more stories than we know about in order for them to still be reacting like this. Right. So um, one time when Zach was in the house, his crew noticed that in one of the bedrooms, the blinds started leaking this oily substance all over them. Oh. So they cleaned off the blinds. You know, remember, they're filming a documentary. There's a lot of people in Yeah, and out. that's true. So what they did was they cleaned off everything. They shut the door and rigged it so that if someone went in, they would know. Okay. So they did that and they went back. No one had gone into the room and the blinds were still – still had that oily substance back on it. Okay. So it was just a little – like a little yeah. oddity that was happening there. Um. So – Black mold was reported in the home by LaToya back when she was living there. Zach uncovered a news clip of when the news was out there talking to her. This is prior to when the the, uh, possessions escalated. You know, they were just there to talk about the mold. Mm -hmm. And so mold can emit high levels of electromagnetic radiation, which can cause hallucinations. Yes. So the mold problem, as they thought, was never addressed. So they brought in a home inspector to determine if there are high levels of EMF in the house because that can attribute to some of what's going on here. And, you know, I like Zach's style because he likes to debunk certain things before saying, like, it's 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 fact. like being reasonable. Yeah, like, okay, let's try to cut out, out some of these on. things. Yeah. So the inspector found normal levels – uh, so they were able to rule that out. But it was interesting because as the inspector was there, again, he started losing track of his thoughts, spacing out. And when he had looked into one of the bathrooms and commented how it just felt off, a shadowy figure was actually picked up on camera in the same spot that he was looking. Ew. Um, then the inspector became like really nauseated right after and had to leave the house. So oh he's my- not someone who's involved in this paranormal stuff. Right. He's just someone that Zach brought out to test the EMF levels in the home. On another day, one of the former tenants of the house prior to LaToya had gotten wind that they were filming and she stopped by with her with her kids. <laughs> and so Zach was obviously interested to talk to her because this mm-hmm. is prior to LaToya. He wanted to see, you know, obviously, did you have any experiences? And right. she told him how she would have a friend that would constantly be over the house and would sometimes stay there even when they weren't there. And that friend always complained that they heard footsteps when no one was home. Okay. She also talked about how her brother committed suicide in the room that was in the basement. Oh, shit. Uh-huh. <laughs> so this was so Zach starting to, like, you know, eyebrow raise. I guess that maybe Indiana's like not a state where you have to disclose stuff like that when you sell. Maybe not. And well, and, she, and remember, Latoya didn't 
Oh, you mean to Zach? Yeah. yeah I don't, he just bought it. For, he like didn't even you, care. But he, anyone, you know, like yeah. when you buy it, because some states require you to disclose that there was any murders or deaths. Murders or deaths, yeah. yeah. Um, or possible possessions. But. Yeah. <laughs> Wouldn't that be something? Right. Uh, so while the woman was uh, talking on camera to Zach, her knees gave out and she kind of like looked at one of her kids and like kind of quickly reprimanded them for kicking her. And they were like, we didn't do anything. It. And when Zach reviewed the footage, he's like, you can see no one moved. And you could clearly see the woman was in mid-sentence. And boom, her knees just Oh, my out. God. <laughs> so she was also mic'd up at this point, And a female voice was caught on her mic when she was looking around the house, just sort of like, mm, like just bringing back memories and just hearing all the things that had gone on there. Mm-hmm. And a female voice was picked up on her mic saying, run, LaToya. Clear as day. Isn't that crazy? Like, the toy's not even there. Yeah. And they're still referencing it. Maybe they thought she was her. Or I don't know. Or maybe it was, like, her, her the grandmother's spirit, like, her guardian, maybe, like, a little essence of it left in the house. Yeah. That's still being protective. They call that, what is that called? Residual energy. Yeah. So this woman, the woman who lived there before, her her kids were about high school age. There was three of them, and they were there with her, just sort of like thinking it was cool. You know, there's these yeah. cameras, and they were just there kind of asking questions. And again, they started spacing out as they were in the house. And at one point when they had left, Zach is standing in the window watching one of the boys stare back at the house, just like, he's like, what is he doing? And he was just mesmerized by the house, like almost like a in a trance or fixated on it or something. Um, so a few days after that had happened, Zach actually received a call that the one daughter who was there ended up trying to commit suicide. Oh my out god! Out of nowhere, after becoming violent with her mother. Oh shit! The sister said to Zach that she was rolling her eyes back in her head and was not acting like herself at all. Zach actually visited her in the hospital. Wow. Um, and ultimately, the same reverend who performed an exorcism on the toy and her kids performed one on this girl as well, just for extra measure. Yeah. So Zach discovered the home's history even further. A total of five people died in this house before LaToya, including the suicide. Okay. So you can't help but to wonder if there's some sort of correlation. Your dark energy affects everyone in so many different ways. Right. So it is it is interesting to know that there was these deaths. Yeah. Um, so the documentary com- culminated with Zach sealing himself inside the house alone overnight with nothing but a few cameras and a mic. Oh. So he didn't even have a cell phone or, like, TV to distract himself. Oh, my God. So during the night, multiple noises were picked up uh, on camera. Like, someone was moving around the house. Again, it's tiny, so you hear everything. And then when Zach was in the one room trying to rest, he started hearing, again, noises. And when he sat up, a deep, loud growl happened as though it was, like, right in front of him. And yeah. it just – it sent him into a panic. I think he – the documentary kind of ended in that area. So I, don't, I think he actually ran out of the house. Wow. Um, but it was it was a very loud growl that you can hear. It was very creepy. So he also recounted how those who were involved in the making of the documentary were affected just as police – 
Captain Charles Austin had said the officers oftentimes would be affected. So this list included numerous crew members who quit because they couldn't handle it anymore. That's crazy. His one cameraman seemed to have something dark come over him, causing him to have violent outbursts to the point he had to be terminated. And this was a friend of one of the other, you know, crew members. And he's like, he's never done anything like this before. And. Like, these old people, these people have all gone to, like, haunted places, yeah. right? I think some of them, because this wasn't affiliated with Ghost Adventures. Okay. This was completely separate. But Zach had crew members from Ghost Adventures right. with him, but they had other people outside of. Yeah. But they knew them before this. Right. And they yeah. were like, this is not normal yeah. behavior. That's crazy. So he also had an expert in psychology who was brought in to discuss certain aspects of the case. And this guy ended up in the hospital right after visiting the home. He was affected in the home. You could see him start to kind of feel nauseous. Um, he ended up in the hospital with multiple organs failing one right after the other. What? Mm-hmm. The woman who previously lived there, you know, her daughter tried committing suicide and it was by stabbing herself multiple times in the wrists. Oh, my God. And a few others were included in Zach, even. He had a violent outburst that was caught on camera. He wasn't mic'd up or anything, but he started to attack one of his best friends who he also works on ghost adventures with out of nowhere. That's crazy. So it was decided by Zach that the best course of action would be to tear the house down, that it would be better for everyone involved, anyone who in the future would be on that property. So that's exactly what he did, but not before making sure he grabbed a few artifacts from the house that he keeps in his own personal haunted collection. (laughs) So Zach's documentary is called Demon House. And if you're interested in this case, it was a great documentary. It goes into some of the history of the case, but it is neat to see how these types of locations and landmarks can still affect people, even after the family that, you know, made it, public right even after they were gone yeah so it begs the question is it the house that started this is it the family i'm sure it's different in all cases but i think with this case it's probably exactly as the news said a portal to hell yeah it sounds like it i don't think she was making it up no i mean that the story about the kids is that's too like that's too extreme there's there's some things where you know you can kind of like put it on like one side of the list okay this is definitely real one side of the list like this is where it could be false but i mean there's there's too many eyewitnesses there's too many pe- like victims of it you know like if it's not a portal to hell it's something else that's like well, some Catty said corner to hell. maybe like <laughs> one of like a mass hysteria type of thing. That was one of the theories that okay. people that came in after were sort of subscribing to this and developing symptoms kind of or exaggerating it. They also ridiculed her for being really open with her story. Yeah. But you know what? Like I would do the same because oh, I mean, you're you're in shock. I mean – Everyone responds to things differently. Yeah, you can't like say, some people. I never shut up. <laughs> <laughs> so you you'd know? be talking so, to everyone. Yeah, I would be. I would be so bewildered and in shock. I would want other people to be like, "Are you witnessing this too?" Like, yeah. come over here, see this. Like, if you've ever been somewhere and you found a cold spot, yeah, you're like, "Oh my god, come over come here, come stand here and feel this." Yeah. yeah, I don't know that I would have my kid walk up the wall backwards and be like, oh, "I'm not going to tell anyone." Right? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Or I'd be telling everyone. 
also, like, how the hell are you teaching your kid how to walk up the wall backwards if you're the one making this all happen? I mean, that's – it's it's too much. Like, yeah. And I think some people even give her some slack for talking to Hollywood, but who – I'm not here to judge <laughs> <laughs> because I know I would be yeah. on the hot mess express if this yeah. stuff was happening Oh, my to God, me, for yeah. Sure. For sure. I have to pee. Okay, thank you. Thanks so much for joining us on this episode of Hosting Evil. For more information on this case and others, you can visit our website at hostingevilpodcast.com. And don't forget to check us out on social media at Hosting Evil Podcast. Until next time, I'm Jess. Peace, love, and light. And I'm Emily. Keep fighting those demons. Hosting Evil is recorded and produced by Carly Strange at Rockdale Studios.